Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 76 and we are back. At back with a vengeance <laughs> with Royce Bear. This is the Photog Adventures podcast and we're excited to have Royce Bear back. But because we have Royce and an issue with our other mic, we are sitting here. We're not, we're not sitting at all. We're standing. We're standing. We have to share Aaron and I have to share a mic tonight. <laughs> you ever seen those musicians that are standing up at a mic singing together? Singing. Hey, we got Thanks these things going on. And yeah. so that's what we're doing right now. We have headphones to our ears <laughs> and we're standing by a mic. So we're sharing my mic and Brendan's mic's over there with Royce. So we're going to be a little bit echoey today or we might talk away from the mic a little bit it too much. It might sound a little different, yeah. So sorry, guys. But welcome back to the podcast. It's Photog Adventure Time and Brendan's back. Full health. Almost full health. I'm about 65%, 70%-ish there. So, okay. I was hoping you'd be um, above 48. I'm definitely above that, thank goodness, because <laughs> I would not probably not be here if I was at that way. So the last week has been really sucky for me. been recovering from a surgery. I'm feeling much better now, and I want to just do a quick shout-out to our top-tier patrons. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm just going to do it by name and go on a checklist here. Get first names only or first last names, names as well? Uh, first and last names, guys. Kurt Kies, thank you very much. James Kelly, you're awesome. Barbara Scott. Neil Robertson, Justin Cath- Cathcart. Cathcart, that's Cathcart. how I'd say it. Okay. Roger Nidell, you're awesome. Jeff Peterson, you're a stud. Phil Sisto, we love you. Brandon Black and Tim Lawson, thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Man, you guys have been on our Photographer listeners page and Facebook posting tons of stuff. We love the comments. We guys we love the vi- photos you guys are sharing. You guys are just awesome. When you guys sign up on Patreon, you literally fuel our podcast that money is sit sits in our bank ready for us to go out and have an adventure so we come right back here the very next day sometimes or the very next week and report on that adventure and create content that you guys love listening to so you guys are literally fueling your if it's your favorite podcast which i hope it is then you guys are literally fueling your favorite podcast so guys jump on to patreon.com slash photog adventures and sign up any support is awesome we love it We'll accept any of it. One more thing I want to mention is Redbubble. We have our official Photog Adventures logo on redbubble.com. Nice. We will put a link in the show notes so you guys can go straight there. When you go to the page, it'll have the logo with a sticker. You guys can buy three different size stickers if you want right there. Boom. But on the bottom right-hand corner, in the middle, there's, an, there's a little box that says other products. You click on, click on that other product mm-hmm. links and you've got t-shirts. You've got duvets, you've got <laughs> pillows, duvet. you've got, if, if you guys just obsess with Photog Adventures <laughs> and it? you want a duvet cover <laughs> with our logo on it, you can buy that. it. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty awesome. Is this going to be the logo itself or other stuff? Like, you know, we've got to get, I take my lens cap off for that. Yes, don't clone the, me this, out, bro. Yes. The logo was a start to get the star launched and ah, to get the store up there. Yes. And now we can start putting other stuff on there like i'll take my lens cap off for that t-shirt and uh don't clone, and me, don't out, clone bro. me out bro those kind of things we'll start making t-shirts <laughs> and other stickers and products for that stuff yes awesome thanks man that's a really great thing to have out there i know that some people ask about hats and want to get hats this is gonna be a way to get hats or not they through red bubble hats there but they have lots of other cool st- they, they don't have hats there but they have lots of other cool stuff and cool swag that's just really cool to, and fun to to get on. So. Okay, we got to figure out a way to get the hats because the hats I love and I think that's a great, great way to like represent that, and not have something be so like crazy absurd like a yeah, duvet we'll, we'll wrapped around your body. Yeah, we'll probably have to do body. a separate site for a hat, a specific hat site that does cool. good at that. So yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for doing that. Sweet. Well, we're stoked to be here today talking with Royce Bear. Hey, Royce. Hey, it's good to be here. You know, I had a person on my uh, Facebook group the other day who had just seen all the hoopdala about uh, Eric and his mm. star tracking and just kind of wondered he says you know I'm I'm into the single exposure thing and I like it and it's doing good for me and I can't see that there's all that much difference 
to have to go get all this new equipment and carry it around and put mm-hmm. it in my airline luggage. What do the rest of you think? And big discussion on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is a difference. There is a significant difference if it's done right. Mm-hmm. The question is, is it worth it? Well, yes and no. We're going to discuss that. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think it really depends on uh, what your idea of quality is. I think you're going to get a lot more uh, out of an image if it's a 100 ISO, 8-minute exposure versus you know 1,600 or 3,200 or C400 or beyond ISO, right? Absolutely. 20 seconds. Yeah, not only in dynamic range, but in noise and sharpness. Uh, It's amazing what tracking will do for you. But there are a lot of alternate in-between things that we can talk about. We'll do that. Cool. Awesome. So let's go ahead and start off this podcast with a segment on this discussion. And we'll go into the first segment. We might even go to the first break with some more content. We want to talk about that. But we have some other questions for Royce, like low-level lighting update in the parks, talking about your post-processing tips, which I think will just be coming through just any topic that we're going to go over. Anyway, we'll hear some post-processing tips. And then any updates on what your favorite lenses are right now and stuff of what you're doing. Because people want to hear, how's Royce Bear? What's he going through? What's he doing? So we'll talk about all those things throughout this podcast. But let's get started. It's our first topic, I think, where we have this versus single image versus star tracking. Um, For those of you who aren't aware of what the argument really is talking about, basically you go and you have your camera and your single image is being constrained by whether you have a star trailing. You want star trailing, you don't mind star trailing, you can go longer, but you have a length of shutter you can go based on how much you want to star trail. And then you can have a star tracker that actually moves with the sky and you can have a one to two minute exposure at 1600, 800 ISO and really bring out the stars without having to have too much ISO to run and bring out the luminosity. And you've also, in my thought, Royce, and you can correct me and we can get started here if you can correct me if I'm wrong, I see it as color becomes more visible the longer your shutter is running. You can't really color ISO something. You can light ISO, bring more signal to the to the sensor with the ISO, but can you bring out the color without shutter? You, you know, you're right. If you, uh, if you bring up the ISO in a single exposure in order to stop the star trailing, uh, and that's why you have to have such high ISOs and and wide, fast lenses right. is in, in order to keep that star trailing down. The higher you get that ISO, the more color, not only uh, luminance noise do you get, you know, the grain, mm-hmm. but you get color noise. Oh, I used yeah. to shoot in, in the beginning with a, a Canon 5D Mark II, and uh, at 6,400 ISO, that thing had so much magenta blooming on the sensor. It was just incredible. Mm. Um, and I still get that even with uh, you know, the more modern cameras, some of that magenta blooming, and you'll see it in a lot of sensors. So anything that you can do to lower that ISO uh, is going to be helpful. Absolutely. Because what we know about ISO is that's not just... It's just amplification of the signal. So whether you're, and I've seen someone's YouTube video explaining this, that if you shoot an image at ISO 100 and then in post, go and jack the exposure up to where it looks really nice and bright. And then you take the same exposure at like, you know, 1600 or 3200 and you can make them look, they look identical. Like there's absolutely no difference in the noise levels and everything. You know, there's a there's a lot of discussion going on on the internet right now. Uh, some of the ones I've seen has started at 400 ISO versus 6400 ISO, and say that there's no difference uh, in what they're seeing. Well, there is a difference, and that is shadow detail. If you start out mm. too low in your ISO, you're never going to be able to bring up that shadow detail. And when you try to bring it up, it's the shadows that really pick up more mm. noise. So you got to be careful. The old rule, I mean, the, the rule of thumb that's been around for a long time, exposed to the right, uh, has some important aspects into it. And, of course, you want to expose to the right as much as you can without blowing out the highlights. And so that's the old rule, which 
you know, blows in the face of some of these new things that are coming out. But there's a compromise, and uh, we'll get into that. But what people were uh, discussing about single exposures, the good old single exposures, typical rule of thumb was F2.8, 30th of 30 seconds, ISO 6400 is a good rule of thumb. Well, even at 30 seconds, you're going to get some star trailing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it depends on your the focal length of your lens. If you're using a 24 millimeter, you better go closer to 15 seconds. If you're using an ultra-wide 14 millimeter, yeah, you can go 30 seconds. But on any of those, you blow up bigger than about uh, 11 by 14, 16 by 20 print, and you're going to see some star trailing still. Mm. In other words, you're going to have uh, an elliptical star that's about four times longer than it is wide. <laughs> right. And with the 50 millimeter that I did a bunch of tests on when I was in Crater Lake last year, two to four seconds was it. Four Ex seconds was like the max you can go. Right. Yeah. You can go eight seconds, and like I said, it'll blow up a 16 by 20, but even then you're going to start seeing it. So four or five seconds is really uh, better for that for that focal length. Mm -hmm. So the, the big question is, you know, people were saying, well, single exposures you know, are the manly way to do it, you know? <laughs> awesome. That's my way. I'm very manly. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's getting boring. You know, this is getting boring. It's too easy now. <laughs> yeah, too easy. Mm. Well, guys like myself, um, Wayne Pinkston, Brad Goldpaint, and others have chimed in and said, you know, I'm sorry, lads, but, you know, the good single exposure is still never boring. And if you can get a good shot with a single exposure, you should try very much to do so. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Single exposures versus stacking versus panning versus tr the ultimate tracking. <laughs> yeah. And tracking and panning like Eric. Oh, does. yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, I sit here and I think my last two years, I have stuck and focused on single image photography. One, because I like to teach the entry-level version of astrophotography, Milky Way photography. I want it to be accessible to people who, when I go in there and say, now break out your channels so your LRGB are open, your alpha channel, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They don't want to talk about trying to do my curves and trying to change things on the LRG, LRGB channels. They don't want to even think about some simple editing processes like going into Photoshop. They just want to do Lightroom. And entry-level single-image photography is nice and accessible for people to go out, have the experience, get their camera out there, take a shot of the Milky Way, and then see it on their camera better than their eyes have seen it. And people who look at it who are their friends who don't know any different are going to love it, think it's awesome and there's going to be no regrets and so I love teaching that I just kind of stuck with that method of what I am doing just so that I can still be on that same page of them but I find myself and I think everyone else is okay should I start stacking now and let's push myself to stack and then the whole idea of going Eric Benedetti's route of star tracking it's very tempting it's very tempting to us and intimidating to a lot of people oh <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of gear involved yeah I'd like to tell you a little story uh about how I approached this whole thing. We're going to go back 20 years, back into the old days, using a stuff they called film. Film. Mm. <laughs> film. Heard of such a thing. <laughs> or otherwise known as film. Oh, film. film. Oh, yeah, film. film. Kodak, the ancient, <laughs> the ancient tribe of Kodak. So when, when I was out doing landscape, architectural photography, and uh, that type of thing, uh, things that you can use a tripod on. The people assignments, uh, you know, uh, usually stuck 35 millimeter all the way. But on landscape and architectural, uh, I still did things with a 35 millimeter. You can shoot a lot of shots handheld and do a lot of compositions, angles and whatnot. And I found that I use this rule of thumb. If Something started to really intrigue me and say, yeah, hey, now this this composition, this angle, this perspective, this is looking pretty good. So I would go back to the car, get out 
the two and a quarter camera. In my case, it was a Mamiya RB67, six by seven centimeter. Uh, the film cost for just 10 exposures versus 36 on the 35 millimeter was about 50% greater just for 10 shots versus 36. Mm, so that's why you don't play with that first. I was going to ask you, why didn't you just use that in the first place? Yeah. Cost. Well, for, for one thing, the depth of field was a lot shallower. Uh, ah. You definitely had to use a tripod. You couldn't freehand it uh, mm. hardly at all. And so then if the shots intrigued me even more went back to the car and got out the big guns the four by five <laughs> mm. and because that took a lot of work to get set up well i use that same uh mindset today in digital starry night photography i try to get as many good shots angles compositions as i can throughout the night single exposures and then if something starts to intrigue me and say hey now this is a good perspective everything is lining up the way i like it i start st stacking exposure stacking you know i'll do seven eight nine ten shots real quickly as fast as i can and which i can stack later in starry landscape stacker if you're on a mac or sequator if you're, you're on a pc sequator. nice yeah so that, because that's the poor man's version of tracking. Stacking is the poor man's mm. version of tracking. And that gets some great detail in the dust lanes. I mean, you it, pull out a lot more of the Milky Way that you don't see otherwise. Oh, you really do. It's amazing the little stars that get mixed up with the noise now pop up mm. from <laughs> away from the, the noise. But the sharpness is still not there as good as tracking. If you want to, if the shot still intrigues me, then I'll do a pano stitch with a smaller focal length lens. Instead of using a 14 or 15 millimeter lens, I may go to a 24 or a 35 or even a 50 millimeter mm. and do two rows of panorama mm. stitches in the portrait or vertical position. And I'm overlapping about 50%. By doing, let's say, for instance, seven shots with a 24 to equal what one shot would be with a 14 or 15, I've increased, I've doubled the resolution of the final product. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Right. Then if I really, you know, think it's a good shot, then I'll do both stacking and pano stitching. I'll do like maybe five stacks for each exposure mm. stitch of the panel. And so oh, you, when you get back, you've got to process, stack each of those. <laughs> that Milky uh, Way's moved it to Yes. <laughs> but, you know, you, you keep your exposure short and um, and go as fast as you can. And, yeah, the, the, the Milky Way has moved a lot, but most of your stacking software will line it up quite well. Because mm -hmm. lots of times, let's say if you're normally shooting 20 seconds, you can raise your ISO about half of a stop and lower your time by half. So instead of shooting, let's say, at 6,400 ISO, 20 seconds, you go 8,000 or even 10,000, and then you drop your time from 20 seconds to uh, 10 seconds. So you can do more shots in that stacking quicker, quicker sequence. And of course you fire the next one just as soon as you can as it writes to the card. Right. And uh, just go through as quick as you can. And those will line up quite well. Now you're still about a half a stop underexposed, but you can bring that up in Adobe Camera Raw. Bring it up a little bit. But the, the whole idea is to shorten your exposure almost in half by increasing the ISO and underexposing a little. Okay? And, and so then stack all that together. You go out there, you get a shot that you're loving the composition of, then you go the extra step of doing the stacking or bringing out, like in the old days, you brought out a different camera that was more No, I just, I just do the extra step of the stacking. Then if I really like it, I'll do a pano stitch with a smaller focal length in order to get the same uh, 
area field of view as I would with the, the wider lens. And then if I really like it even more, I do stacking and panel stitch together as we just explained. And then if I really, really, really like it, I get out the tracker. Do mm. I do what Eric is doing where I do both um, panel stitch and tracking? Rarely. Ah, uh, rarely. Yeah. And that's why I decided to listen to his course because, uh, you know, the pod, the um, uh, online workshop. Uh -huh. Because uh, in order to do that, you have to have some little extra equipment in order to keep that alignment going. Yeah, he uses a Manfrotto gearhead. Yeah, on top of his tracker. Yeah, and I use the Manfrotto gearhead too, but I thought, well, you can't use that on top of your tracker. That's too much weight. <laughs> well, <Apparently not. laughs> with with the Star Adventure, you can go up to 11 and a half pounds. So it has a good payload that it, it can does. Handle. Okay. So anyway, that's my workflow uh, on how I approach things in the field. And that's because why do I do it that way? Because if you start out in the beginning, unless you're planning really, and I do a lot of planning, Unless you plan really well and all the elements in the heavens align for you. <laughs> and how often does that happen? If you go out to, yeah, <laughs> if you go out to do the biggest and the best, you know, you're going to miss a lot of neat opportunities and perspectives and compositions. Sure, sure, yeah. And they're gonna pass you by. And of course, but the other the other thought uh, or mindset is, well, you got to go out there hoping for the best and right. and give it your all. And even if you fail, at least, you know, you'll get something to be proud of. <laughs> well, technical sharpness and lousy composition and alignment just doesn't cut it for no. me. Yeah. So, so I get excited by doing the... Uh, the good single exposures, and then I work up. Absolutely feel the same way. I know that people who are trying to do it for the first time, obviously you have to do single exposures, but when you've got an hour to go out and you find something that really intrigues you, that single exposure and getting the satisfaction of getting not only low-level lighting working, so you got the foreground looking great, and the Milky Way shot all in one shot, when you come home, and you have that kind of ease of heart saying, okay, I just got one image to work on. I don't have this crazy process that's going to take me 10, 12, 12 hours to get there. Mm. That's extremely satisfying for me. It is to me too. And that's that's what I do as I go through all those single exposures when I get back to post-processing. And I go through those and do a quick process and then decide whether or not I want to follow through and oh, do yeah. the stacking the stuff, the, yeah. and the tracking, all that stuff. Because the post-processing on those others is pretty laborious. <laughs> yeah, you've got to love the process for sure if you yeah. do that much. But I can understand the mindset of if you've got a shot and you're just kind of like, eh. <laughs> you know, even though you have like 200 pictures you could process, if you're not that excited about the shot, why go through all the effort? To oh. process all those other images. Yeah, so just... I'll process some of the, you know, some of the key exposures. I'll go through, you know, the the Adobe Bridge and look at them very very quickly and uh, see which images. And I start out with uh, single exposures, and I'll process a few of them. And I go, yeah, I was right to go to stacking or to go to tracking <laughs> or to go to panama panorama stitching on this. This does look cool. Nice. And then your stitching, your panorama stitching is, well, first of all, your stacking is going to look basically the same as far as composition, field right. of view. Mm -hmm. But your panorama, I mean, your panorama stitches do look different once they're processed because your alignment is for the horizontal line. So the Milky Way has to curve. Yeah. Mm. And you know what? I love that. <laughs> I really like that. Now, it doesn't work the best for some images, but for a lot of things, I love that rainbow effect. Mm. Right? Oh, I hear you. May and uh, May and April Milky Way panoramas are my favorite. 
they are mine too. They just oh, they just look so brilliant the way that they terminate and start at this beautiful arch going up in the sky. Yeah, I, I, I June sad. is about the last month mm-hmm. in, here in the northern hemisphere around the fortieth parallel that you can can do some good arching. Yep, very early in the night. If you go too late in the night, then you lost it. You've lost it. It gets, the Milky Way gets too vertical. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you guys haven't really popped in your head and realized kind of the the reason why processing so hard, let me paint just one picture for you. Not just the fact that you have to go through all the elements of processing and Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw and all those things that are going to make your image pop and clarity and your Milky Way and look awesome and it's not just about the contrast. What's happening is you're going to now track something and move across and it is sliding with the sky. And so your extra processing now with star tracking is already a nightmare because your foreground is a blur. You're going to take a different foreground shot than the rest of your sky. And in some situations, you're going to have trees that are not only swaying in the breeze, but you're moving them. And trees are a bane, a nightmare for Mm. star tracking processing. We even had an entire hour dedicated from Eric Benedetti showing how he processes the trees and he couldn't even get it done within that hour to make it look perfect because it takes so much tedious, really, really attention to detail work that takes time. And over the live feed, we just couldn't take that kind of time. Mm. And so if you guys are thinking between single image and star tracking, right there, there's a plus and a minus, you know, a pro and a con, because you don't have to mess around with your foreground or your trees. Mm. Even Starry Nightscape's stacker and sequator has trouble with trees the stars Mm. in between the branches Mm, of the trees Uh, because remember those stars are moving from each exposure and you know until starry landscape stacker came out and then sequator followed there in order to get the alignment of the star stacking with the foreground was a big manual nightmare. Ooh, all manually done, huh? Yeah. Mm, and Photoshop with layers. I can imagine yeah. that sucks. So it, yeah. it was tough. But even Sequator and uh, Starry Landscape Stacker have a tough time with stars through the trees because, remember, they're moving on each yeah. exposure. And it has to decide which stars it keeps in the line because they're mm. going in and out of view. They're going behind branches yeah, constantly. Yeah, moving. Eesh. Mm. <sighs> no wonder why it was just a friggin' mess when I watched Eric do that. And I was just watching him and I was tired. Imagine what it was like for him to sit there with the brush tool trying to mask things out and paint things back and skew this. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I was hoping he was going to come up with an enlightening way that I hadn't even thought of before. <laughs> and I looked at that and go, hmm. Just like I have to do. <laughs> Still just no as No wonder hard. I hate this so much. <laughs> but when it works, it's beautiful. Absolutely. So we're going to go into some more of the debate between single image image, single image Milky Way photography versus star tracking Milky Way photography. But let's take our first break of the podcast and we'll come back with the master, the great Royce Bear. Hey, Royce, in Escalante, you've been out there and done Milky Way photography a lot. What's one place that you would say is a must-see for any Milky Way photographer? It's got to be Sunset Arch. That is such an awesome place. You know, also Devil's Garden, which is probably one of the easier access oh, right? places. It's half know. an hour in, and it's you just drive up to it. Oh, yeah, easy yeah, for everyone. Yeah, you, you only have to walk a few hundred yards to really get to some cool hoodoo, hoodoos. I call those hoodoos in the back of Devil's Garden the uh, Easter Island of North America. <laughs> they do look like Easter Island faces almost. <laughs> so guys, if you're thinking you want to do Mookie Photography on Escalante, Brendan and I are doing a workshop here in a few weeks, as well as another one in, in June and probably adding one in July. So keep looking for our Milky Way Photography workshops. Go check it out at photogadventures.com forward slash adventures. See you there. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everybody. We are joined tonight with Royce by Royce Bear. Royce Bear, the magic, the magician nice. of the magician of Milky Way photography, the magic. He is he is the magic. This is getting pretty deep, boys. <laughs> my my slip up of not saying the magician and just calling you the magic made it into more of a deep compliment of 
what I don't know means, and this is poetic, I guess. That's what I meant. It was supposed to be poetic the whole time. But we're back talking about single image photography versus star tracking Milky Way photography. And we mentioned a little bit of post-processing, Royce, but what are some of the pros and cons of the dealing with post-processing in these two versions of doing Milky Way photography? Well, post-processing on a single exposure, of course, is easier than on stacking and panning and tracking, but not really. Actually, a tracked image, a single tracked image is pretty easy to post-process because you don't have to worry about keeping the noise down. Mm. It is so beautiful. So you've taken all that time to do a single tracked exposure. And let me tell you, a single exposure using tracking is pretty beautiful. But, of course, then you've got to combine it with the non-tracked exposure of the foreground of your landscape so you've got to blend those two together in some form of layers so that is another step but the post-processing of a single exposure uh, is basically easier in the beginning but in order to keep that noise level down that's a whole nother level too that takes mm. some time. Uh, in my ebook, I talk about, uh, and by the way, to find my ebook, just go to nightscaper.com is an easy way to find that. That gets to my blog, and you can see my ebook and up in the top right hand corner. And if you don't already own it, guys, please get out and grab one. We did this last year, we gave away three copies of it. I really think we should do that again. Do we want to buy? Let's buy a copy. We'll buy a copy of Royce's ebook tonight, and in the next podcast, we'll start doing a contest for getting it out, giving it out to someone. Okay, cool. But anyway, I talk about using uh, Arc, you know, Adobe Camera Raw, mm-hmm. the the tools in that, and of course, Adobe Camera Raw, if uh, you know, is part of Photoshop, but it's already built into Lightroom, so mm-hmm. it's already there. But either Adobe Camera Raw or Lightroom, the first thing that you want to do is go into the Details sub-menu and use that luminance slider to lower your noise. And a a 6400 ISO or a 5000 ISO image is pretty gritty. Mm -hmm. It can have that texture. And I guess I admit to not being averse to the look of it in my images i actually don't change it too much but brendan was showing me his like very slight noise reduction that he does in the luminance slider and Mm -hmm. other sliders and you're saying you bring your luminance slider up to account for it do you have in your top of your head what levels you go to sure if i'm doing 6400 iso i'm probably between 35 and 45 Mm -hmm. on that slider now that's pretty high Mm. uh you, it's very important that you don't go too high because you'll mush the image. It's all you muddy. Can, yeah. yeah, you can make that image as smooth as a baby's bum, but you're starting <laughs> to lose detail. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I'll do is do two outputs, one uh, for the foreground and one for the sky. You don't have to use as much uh, luminance noise reduction on the foreground as you do with the sky because the details in your foreground like rocks Mm, and trees and grass and stuff they can handle that noise because the detail breaks up the noise Mm -hmm. it's like your eyes are point are pulled to the details more than the noise you don't exactly so so oftentimes for the uh, i'll do a a thing for the foreground at about 25 2025 and i'll do one for the sky more around 40 and then i'll merge them together later on Mm. but that's where i start out is in the details section the slider in adobe camera raw or lightroom and then i end up with define 2.0 which is in the nick collection i'll save uh define the noise reduction to the very last step in all my image processing. Once I've flattened the image, you know, with all the layers, the merges, the curves and whatnot, 
then it's that image before I knock it from 16-bit down to 8-bit. I'll still work with it in 16-bit. I'll go in with Define 2.0, part of the Nick collection, and get rid of the last bit of noise in that image. And that noise has increased from the original mm -hmm. raw image because you've put contrast to it in the curves. And that, of course, heightens or puts more detail into the noise when you do that. And I'll often process different parts of the image differently. I'll select, for instance, the shadow or the darker areas of the sky and process them a little heavier than I do them, or even do them twice than I do the regular mm. or the brighter part of the sky. The brighter your sky is, the less noise there is there. Did you know that? So when you have some zodiacal light or air glow, you've noticed it being Yeah, different? any, any mm. air glow down towards the bottom uh, that has is brighter will have less noise than the darker areas. Sure, sure. That's all part that of the sense. exposed yeah. to the right theory, by yeah, the way. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, mm. I'll process those. Uh, I'll use the brighter areas of the Milky Way sky as the standard. Mm -hmm. And then the dark areas, uh, I'll select those and feather it quite heavily so that there are no lines of demarcation and process and hit those again. Now, I don't use that in automatic mode. I go in and reset it. It'll start to automatically process that. Stop it, reset it, go into manual mode, click on your little selection marquee, go over to an area of the sky that has no stars, oh. Okay, and, and take a little define, square, right? identify, mm. draw a little selection marquee, and say, use this, you know, measure the noise out of this. And it is so much more accurate. Really? Oh. And then after you've done that, then go through and select the darker areas of the sky and pick an example that doesn't have a lot of stars, do a little selection marquee on that, and tell it to process that. You will not believe how much more detail remains, less mushing of the stars, and how much smoother your sky is. And you want to do the same thing with your landscape selection. And remember, that landscape foreground needs much less mm -hmm. uh, noise reduction than the sky because we don't want a gritty sky and we don't want gritty water so if you got a water area in mm -hmm. your foreground you want to use a little bit more noise reduction on that but if you got detail in your rocks and grass and trees sometimes i don't even do anything to them other than what i originally did uh in the mm -hmm. original mm -hmm. in the original lightroom Okay, guys, so you just heard it right there. That is an amazing tip. I'm going to take that tip home with me and use it tonight. It's tonight something that even. anybody, I'm excited to use it now because everybody's everybody has access to the Nick collection, right? So let me tell you one other thing that you can do on a single image processing, and that is do uh, a mini stack to begin mm -hmm. with. Try to shoot two or three images of every freaking thing that you shoot. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, real quickly, even if you don't intend on doing a stack, if you've got two or three exposures that are close to each other, so the stars haven't moved a lot, just take those two images and manually overlap them in layers so the stars align. You know, you can do this, boys and girls. Take it up to 200% and align those stars. Move the one image over the other. And then make the top layer 50%. 50% opacity. Mm -hmm. so you the brightest parts. Are yeah. Like, what, in other words, you're going to, to blend those two images together once you've aligned them. And, of course, on foregrounds, you don't have to worry at all. Right. You know, you're, uh, 
you know, those will line up every time because the sky hasn't moved. So lots of times, you know, where how you shoot on a single exposure, you actually do a second exposure, longer exposure for the foreground and blend those two exposures together anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, for heaven's sakes, shoot a couple exposures for the sky and a couple exposures for the the foreground blend those i mean align those two separately of course there's no alignment on the foreground because it hasn't moved (laughs) hasn't moved at all but on the sky you will have to manually align so the top layer over your background you're going to knock that down to 50 percent if you do if you shoot three shots do the first layer above at 50 percent and the second layer at 33 percent if my gosh, mm. if you've shot four, then do the top <laughs> layer at 25%. Okay. And, and then flatten that image. Just with two exposures, you'll reduce your noise by 33%. And that Ooh, step is simply huge. aligning and putting one over the other with a 50% opacity. You're not right. doing an average or any sort of median nope. filter. That's you're all doing you're doing. Nothing. Mm. <laughs> and because what tried. happens Another is... Another gem of a trick. I know, <laughs> right? Uh, and the reason why this is doing this is it's just like stacking. The noise pattern in every exposure is slightly different. Mm-hmm. So right. that noise pattern offsets the other pattern when you do that 50% over. So that reduces your noise by 33%. If you have three exposures, if you've got the time to take three exposures and line them, manually align them, you'll knock it by half, by 50%. I mean, that is entry-level work right there. I mean, having another layer and changing Mm -hmm. the opacity of that layer to 50%. Easy. Do you know who taught me this? No. And that was uh, the Spencer camera guy, Clarence Spencer. Ah, Clarence. We want to have him on the podcast talking about the high-pass filters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Clarence taught you that? Yeah. Well done, Clarence. If you're listening to this right now, I know you've heard some of the podcast. Hopefully you are right now because well done. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he says, hey, just go out and shoot a second exposure and align that. He says, you'll get, I says, you'll get so much noise reduction. And I thought, yeah, that sounds right. Let me try it. <laughs> and it works. Oh, man. So you're talking about making something like a single image shot turn out nicer with noise. But how do you get it nicer with color if you're not going to go start tracking? That is that is a problem, mm. yeah. Because um, color, you, you know, as you when you track that, it just seems like deep space, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what I do, and that is I go with a modified sensor. Mm. Okay, and uh, you know you take you take an imp. One of your cameras that you're not using. And let me tell you, if you're a Canon guy, for instance, go out and get the old 6D. Not the 6D Mark II, but the original 6D. You can pick one of those things up for $800 to $1,000. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then go get it modified for $300 and talk about color. It'll just knock your socks off the the colors that you'll get. And of course, the uh, the nebula, the nebulosity due to the hydrogen gases that are in there, those red areas just pop out like crazy. But even the yellow, the stars that are yellow seem to pop out. Do you get airglow mm-hmm. popping out anymore with that? Yes, you do. Okay, so the greens of the airglow. The... Yeah. I'm looking at some of your images right here online, and I'm curious, are some of these that are already popping up, just having Googled, Royce Bear Milky Way. I see these images first, and I gotta say, I'm pretty proud that our thumbnail shows up there too. <laughs> but uh, it shows some of your images where your air glow at the base and the light pollution. Obviously, light pollution has its own color. It's really easy to get that, but you tend to have around your core and the air glow a lot more green showing up than in my images. And I was curious if uh, you don't mind sharing, is that the H-alpha pass? Is that one of those IR filter passes that you're doing? Or is it something else you're doing to make those show up? Nope. Uh, If you shoot up in the Tetons, uh, where a lot of these pictures were shot, you're going to get a lot of air glow in the summertime. Just by northern latitude being higher? Yeah. 
it's just amazing how much air glow you get up in that Teton area. Hmm. We didn't get out there this spring, which is a sad reality. So it's more or less conditions True. of the location than it is on your post-processing. That's right. Because we yeah. noticed on our Escalante images and Crater Lake, they're like completely different colors, but there's a lot of green in both of them. And then some other shots we've taken at Goblin Valley, there's been practically nothing. But then mm. we were just barely in Goblin Valley with the Ukrainian TV show, and they were experiencing a great green air glow that True. night. True, true. So yeah. really, we know what you're talking about, where you all of a sudden get a difference just because of conditions. Yeah. I was just curious. We did anything to bring them out? Well, people, you know, I've had people come to my workshops and uh, that have been to the same place. They'll come a second time and they'll say, um, now, are we going out to here tonight? And I'll say, yeah. And I said, well, I've already done that before. You know, can't we go someplace else? And I said, you haven't been here tonight. <laughs> I haven't been here tonight yet. <laughs> because every time you go out, as it doesn't matter how many times you've been, the the atmospheric conditions change every day. Yeah, they do. They really do. Yeah. yeah. Even if you've got a clear sky, the atmospheric conditions and the upper ionosphere and the ionosphere will change, you know, the air glow. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, that's why I never get tired of it. That's why I go out and shoot those sing good single exposures, see what's happening. And if the air conditions are right, I go, whoop, hey, it's time to start stacking. Oops, it's time to start tracking, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. We were out in Goblin Valley, and a guy said, oh, it's looking kind of dusty tonight. might not be a good night. And we're just like, what? Don't worry about that. And then when we got out there that night, it was beautiful. And so, yeah, you might have a little difference compared and to that And we're looking night. for this guy. We're like, he's not out here? Like, are you serious? Like, is he sleeping? Because he's missing out. On a perfectly yeah, clear night. Completely clear. Just, and know, what's so amazing is that, you know, your seven. camera picks up things that your eye can't see. And that's because, you know, not only can it do the longer exposure, but remember, you, your camera sensor is shooting in color. <laughs> your eyes are recording in black and white. That's why the Milky Way looks kind of dead to us with the naked yeah. eye. Not only isn't it as bright as what our camera sees because of the longer exposure that we can give with the camera, that more light we can collect, but because we're hardly using any of our cones in our retina. It's true, just rods and cones and, and cones just don't get anything at night. Yeah. And so you, you know, once you take that first exposure and you go, ooh, uh, there's something here that I really was ignoring. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's so fantastic that first time you capture a shot. So going back to post-processing, um, during doing the argument of you can get the best or you can get the most out of your single image versus star tracking, what would you tell someone that they need to do to get the most out of their single image? Well, to to shoot that second shot, just get that second shot. You know, there. get that second shot real closely, so that you can stack just two shots will really help reduce the noise. The other thing is, don't be afraid to shoot a longer exposure. Ninety percent, ninety percent or more of your shots will never see more than social media. Will never be more than a computer screen. That's okay? true. Uh, less than one percent of your shots are going to get on a computer screen. Ten uh, percent of your shots are getting on a computer screen. Ninety percent of the stuff today is on a device. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and so you know, and we seem to be very satisfied with looking at that little window, don't we? Mm -hmm. Except I have an iPad Pro, so I'm obviously not too satisfied. <laughs> so keep in mind that, um, that even if you go a little bit too long and get star trail, a little bit of star trailing, you know, at 30 seconds, in fact, why not go 45 or even a minute? And, of course, you'll get some significant star trailing that you won't see on a handheld device. And believe it or not, you won't see it even on a computer screen until you get up to about 45 seconds. So one of the things that you can do to make better color is to give yourself a longer exposure. You know, if, if you're lazy, 
and you don't have time and you just want to do one shot. I've had people come up to me all the time. Oh, I've only got is a kit lens. It's a 3.5 and my camera just, you know, won't go higher than 3200 ISO. And I said, shoot 45 seconds. They said, well, I'll get star trailing. And I said, well, which is worse, a little star trailing or noise that looks like golf balls? <laughs> mm, very know. good point. So And enjoy the moment. Get that shot. Exactly. Don't walk away thinking, well, my camera and kit lens can't cut it. So I, even at 45 seconds, especially at 30 seconds, you're going to be able to do at least 11 by 14 before any pixel peepers are going to say, ooh, there's star movement there. I, I, I'd probably notice. Mm. I, think, I think I would notice, but that's because I'm an anal pixel peeper. Yeah, exactly. But if you're showing your friends who aren't photographers, they're going to be very, very impressed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. If you want to pr impress other photographers, then... Um, you know, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> you could go to these images that like bring out evil goal. <laughs> evil a goal. photographer to impress other photographers, you know. It, it is crazy just to think about it. Yeah. You can look at other pe people's pictures that have brought and elicited out an emotion from you. And you go and start pixel peeping, and you'll see that maybe their things aren't perfect. And, mm -hmm. you know, those conditions or the star trailing or blah, blah, blah is just not in the end significant. It's the composition, it's the emotion that's elicited by the image, and just whether or not you enjoyed it and the thing looks awesome. Hmm. So don't worry about, you know, some of those. Here, here, of... I, you couldn't have said it. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Let me bring up one other subject before we go into the low-level lighting, and that's about, there's been a lot of talk lately about composites. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I want to hear this. I want to judge everyone harshly who does it or doesn't do it. Uh, it's actually... I don't have a side other than one side that I'll mention later. So let's see what you want to say about that, Royce, because I have a side, and I'll tell you guys what it is, and it's all personal opinion. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, there's two, you know, what is your audience? If if you're shooting for National Geographic, you know, you better not do any composites. Because <laughs> yeah, if you get like caught, that. if you get caught... Um, you know, that's history. That's probably not going to ever use you again. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> but for a lot of people, you know, especially for art, they could care less. Mm. Uh, I'm on both sides of the alley here on composites. I try to get a single exposure or a blend or a stack or whatever. First of all, let's define our terms. Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear like, what we, we know. Version. We know what a single exposure is, okay? But some of you may not know that uh, stacking is a form of blending. You're doing layers. When you shoot a second longer exposure of the foreground, that is a blend. That is not a composite. As long as you're taking images of the sky and the foreground, I don't care how many you take, as long as the tripod hasn't moved, that's a blend, okay? So you can take a lot of different exposures, blend them together in layers. That is a blend. Shooting, di sh shooting different angles from different tripod positions at vastly different times and composing them into one image, that is a composite. Vastly so, different times, but the camera doesn't move. Still a blend? Uh, as long as it's not too far off. Uh, National Geographic says that if you, you, you know, we don't want sunrises and sunsets in the same, <laughs> that right. same, same image. You know, as long as it's angles, with, <laughs> the shadows come from different directions. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it's within, you know, three or four hours or something like that, um, that's still a blend. And the tripod hasn't moved, that's still a blend. When the tripod moves and you have multiple exposures, that's a comp composite. And, and might I add, adding external elements yeah. also counts as composite. As a composite. The tripod never moved, but that sky you put in there came from some <laughs> other place. There yes. was a deal on Fox News that hit our uh, group just recently about a guy in I think it was in Brazil who shot these termite mounds. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, you know what the 
the phosphorescent glow yeah. at, at twilight. And he had an anteater in there, um, you know, <laughs> eating the termites. Well, it got up and won a big museum award, but a couple of people started disqu- uh, rumoring and disqualifying this, saying that, you know, this should be disqualified because they found pictures of this mu- museum anteater. It's... The tufts of hair were exactly the same as in this guy's shot. <laughs> It and was a stuffed anteater that he composited into the shot to look like it was eating the termites that were bioluminescent. Wow. Yeah. So the question comes up, should we, you know, if you take a Milky Way from a totally different scene and compose it with a uh, another foreground, uh, and we try to, and we do that to deceive others, is it any different than this anteater thing? In my opinion, no. No, it is not. But if you're doing it as art and everybody, you know, is just enjoying it, do you need to divulge that it is a composite? Probably not. In my opinion? Well, how do you show that art? Because if you're spending time sharing your pictures in all the Facebook groups you ever belong to, right. and you know, you know who you are out there, in that time that you do that, you're including pictures that you do that and you don't do that. Are you artistic or are you photographer of the moment? And so I think you have to divulge it in those situations. But if you're only doing art and you're only on your own portfolio, it's always art. You don't necessarily have to. Yeah. We're talking about audience, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. So, you know, to me, I like to divulge whenever I do a composite. I've only done two composites, one that I'm is going to be on social media tomorrow. Oh, really? So yeah. you're bringing this It'll up be... now to apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a cloudy night. It was a great, I just did everything spectacular, except the Mother Nature, the Milky Way, did not show up that <laughs> night. So a week later, I shot the Milky Way again, from the a, same spot, even? No, it, it was a uh, hundred miles away, mm, but it, okay. at the same direction in the sky. Composite them together, and it looks great. A, a friend of mine sent me an image just a few hours ago that uh, he's going to put in a gallery, uh, his his own gallery that he co-ops with, and uh, it's uh, a balanced rock. And he was shooting with me, and the conditions were not good. He went out to Goblin Valley which, and shot the Milky Way again at the exact same uh, compass directions and then composited the image. Much better image. And it's very realistic and very natural. Uh, since he's putting this in an art gallery, does he need to con- divulge that? Uh, because... Realistically, he's been able to shoot that before. The mm-hmm. conditions just, uh, he wouldn't make any money with yeah. the other print. Right. But with this uh, Milky Way, he's going to make money. It's aligned the right direction, it's all natural. Um, you know, it's a big question. But do you think he's going to lie to someone if someone says, so this is all shot the same night, the same place? He wouldn't. He wouldn't, probably. No, He'd probably he be just like, no, actually, it's a composite. And would the buyer really care? Probably not. Yeah. But what bothers me about composites are these people that put up images that no way in heck is it going, the Milky Way align in that direction. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and someone spends all of their money for that, all of their discretionary income for that year and their vacation time to travel down to that area to Mm. get this shot. (laughs) Right. Mm. And it's not possible. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So, you you know, you have to be careful. So I think if you're going to do composites, it better be natural and realistic. In other words, it could really happen. It could be reproducible, basically. Yes. Okay. In nature. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the Royce Bear rule of thumb for all composites. I mean, my rules personally are that you can take a blend if your camera hasn't moved, just like goosenecks, for example. 
I have to wait for that river to have light, either by the evening, the afternoon before, or the morning when it gets to around 11. So I'm there for 17 hours. My tripod sits down. It's ready for the Milky Way at 1 a.m., and then it waits until 11 a.m. the next morning. So that's a lot of time, but the tripod never moves. It's a blend, though, and I say that every time, that that's not... You can't see the terrain like this without being daylight down here and having a nighttime sky up there. And I always point it out as much as I possibly can. And I think that that's on, that's okay. That's on the edge, but I would never take, I would never go to a rock at the white pockets, right? And film, shoot it from the angle. That's just awesome. And then put a Milky Way that's actually behind me in front of it. And then say, okay, here's a Milky Way over this rock. Mm -hmm. And I say white pocket just because I went out there recently. And I was noticing how a lot of the cool rock formations are facing north and west. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, well, well said, Aaron. I was just, I was at um, uh, Dead Horse Point just last week or a week mm -hmm. and a half ago. And uh, I started shooting at uh, 1.30 in the morning and just got awesome shots of the, of the Milky Way. And, I, and I'll show them to you. But I waited until 5 a.m., you know, almost four hours later, tripod still in the same position, waiting for that astronomical twilight to mm. begin so that we get that light from the east Remember that when you're shooting the Milky Way during the astronomical dusk, the landscape is being lit by a canopy of stars, so it's very flat lighting. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you'll wait until the twilight, you've got strong directional light from the east or in the other way from the west, right. if you're here in the northern hemisphere, and that will give character and definition and shadowing to your uh, to your foreground image so i waited until after 5 a.m and shot until about 5 30 to shoot my foreground sequences that i'm going to blend because for for two reasons number one i i can drop my iso and i don't have to use super long exposures in order to build up the uh, the image density yeah. image yeah. exposure because yeah. the sh exposures are a lot shorter mm. in that <laughs> twilight area but the other reason is so that i get uh, a character of lighting that has more modeling yeah and it's nice to get in there and get the detail on these chasms those chasms are the hardest to light you mm. you can't unless you're royce barry and get four or five what was it three or four lights out there at fairyland fairy what was that area in Bryce Canyon with the fairy tale oh. land? Yeah, fairy, it's fairyland. Fairyland. And then he lit him up with the lights all along the rim, and then it shoots down. You can see it in his ebook, mm. And that's a lot of work to light chasms where you're shooting down from yeah, like that. Yeah. Otherwise, chasms are all natural lighting. Canyons, Grand Canyon, Dead Horse Point, places like Goosenecks, those need the moon, the sky, something, daylight to give you some light in there. Mm. Otherwise, you can't tell what those things are. And, you know, your eyes see them when you're out there, but your camera doesn't pull it out as much with a single type of exposure. You have to do different types of exposures. And I prefer a blue hour or a daytime to bring it out. I love doing that. I think it's beautiful. But I think those of you who are strong enough and confident enough in your, in your photography to say, this is taken during this hour and then this is blended, very proud of you. I think it's awesome. Divulge it to your fellow photographers. You don't have to tell everyone you sell the print to. But definitely divulge it to your fellow photographers and not make them think that you can go and get that same shot. I think right now I have an awesome shot that Joshua Snow just did out there in Death Valley. I, I, I don't know how the shot went, but I'm hoping that everything was exactly as it was portrayed where the Milky Way is coming off the top of a dune the way that it was. Because I really want to get that same shot myself because I think that looked awesome, Josh. And I'm hoping that he never even moved the Milky Way over a few feet or inches, you know, in the shot. I hope it never moved at all. I hope it was all just timing because that makes me so much more proud of the selfie up there and the timing. What a great shot. And Royce, the final verdict is that among photographers, divulge that information among your print, people who are buying your prints, yes and no. You know, if you're selling it strictly for art, uh, you don't have to tell them all the details. That takes away a little bit of the mystery, I think. Yeah, a little bit of the magic. Yeah, yeah a little bit yeah. of the magic when you get into too much of that. And so it, that, that doesn't bother me. But when you're doing something for publication, you know, in a magazine, 
uh, it might be a good idea to let people know that it yeah. was a composite. Oh, 100%. For magazine yeah. and for work, yes. And definitely when if you're inspiring other photographers, you definitely want to let them know that this wasn't the actual <laughs> circumstances. This is manipulated. Because like Roy said, you don't want someone flying out a thousand miles, spending all their money to get the shot that can't be taken. So, yeah. Absolutely. So I got some good news and bad news, guys, listening to the podcast right now. We mentioned some things in the beginning of the podcast that we're going to talk about, but the bad news is we're not going to mention it right now. (laughs) The good news is that Roy says he wants to come back and talk about that more in detail. And I think everyone's going to win in that Mm, situation. And the other good thing is that Royce, if you're okay with this, would you be up for another live Facebook feed where we do a Q and a with you? I think so. So when he comes back and does this, guys, for the podcast, we're going to have a live Facebook Q&A where we're going to go live on the mm-hmm. camera while recording the podcast, and then you guys can ask the questions of Royce Bear, the magician. That's <laughs> calling him today. The magic. <laughs> Royce Bear, the magic. <laughs> I think I wanted to say the man, the great, and then I just blended them together to magic. But anyway... Having him here and able to ask questions of him will be awesome. We have questions from Kirk already that he wanted to know, and you guys can bring those to us. In a couple weeks, we'll be back here with Royce Bear. We'll do the podcast with him. Thanks, Royce, for joining us tonight. You mentioned your ebook and you mentioned where they can find it. Can you tell us a little bit more about where people can follow you, buy your book, and follow your stuff? Yes. Uh, one of the best things to follow is my Instagram feed. Yeah, like th- hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. who already do. Yeah. So that's my Royce Bear photo, uh, and it's called Nightscaper. I mean, the the feed is Royce Bear photo, but it's also called Nightscaper. And there's also a link to our Facebook group, which is also called Nightscaper. (laughs) And then if you go to nightscaper.com, you can go to my blog, which uh, discusses things in more detail and has a link to my ebook. Awesome. Yeah, and like we said, we're going to get that ebook, get a copy of it, and then put it out there for a, I'd say, a May Milky Way compos- uh, comp- comp- contest, competition. Mm, mm-hmm. Should we do that? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So thanks, Royce, for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Hope you guys have a good week. Get out there. The full moon has passed us. It's in behind us. It's heading towards great nights. So get out there with your camera. Mm. See you guys. See you guys.